I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Uh, well, this will be really fun. We're talking with Tiffany Elliott, uh, all the way down from Tecumseh, Nebraska. Uh, this, that's what the, that's what you guys sound like, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, Tiffany is uh, now. Now, let, let me get this straight. You are uh, you're an epidemiologist to be. Yes. Yep. So, give give us a little bit of rundown on like where where are you at in your in your budding epidemiology career. Yeah, so I'm going into my second year of my master's, um, but I currently work as an infection preventionist, so I'm kind of already working in the field, um, but I'm going into my second year and my final year of my master's, so by next December, hopefully. Oh, wow. so, so this is why when before the mics, before we started recording and I said that I had monkeypox. That's why I said don't say to her. Said, don't say that. Oh, I, I was... knew that already. I, sorry, oh. I thought you said it because you knew the content of our conversation today. <laughs> no, I just listened to the episode of The Daily that came out today when we're recording this and it was talking about monkeypox. Uh, well, speaking of monkeypox <laughs> and speaking of being an infection preventionist, uh, is monkeypox like on your radar right now? Or what, what, what's the world of epidemiology thinking about, uh, about this new you know... P- potential uh, human killer. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, for me, uh, currently, it's not really on my radar as far as like being concerned in the field. Um, it's something that's always kind of been there. It's just we don't hear about it a lot. Yeah. Um, so when we do get a few cases that are more so than normal, um, it. It's something that we keep in mind, but I think that when, you know, the public receives this information, it kind of seems like, whoa, this is a huge deal. Especially after COVID. Yeah. You know, I think everyone's a little bit like, oh, fuck. Oh, what's the next thing? Yeah, totally. Because if these headlines, if those headlines had come, if those headlines had showed up pre-COVID, it would have been like a shoulder. It would have been a shoulder shrug. Buried. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially during the Johnny, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. (laughs) Uh, If COVID had not happened, but the, but the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial had still continued to to happen. What no one would have even known. What uh, can you, can you give us some insight into like, what does it mean to be, uh, to be an infection preventionist? Cause you, you work at a, at a rural hospital, right? Yeah. So a lot of what I do is just like, Um, If we have patients who come in and they have like an infection that's communicable, um, we just kind of keep an eye on it, make sure that they're not giving it to other patients, making sure that our staff is following the proper protocols so they don't get infected and so that we're not giving it to other patients. Um, We also kind of assess whether or not like 
was this something that the healthcare workers caring for them gave to them or was this something that they got within the community mm. and now they're here getting treatment from us? And are we talking like MRSA or like syphilis or like pretty much anything <laughs> under um, the umbrella? Not so much syphilis. I guess but, you're not, re- um, I guess, yeah, I guess you're not really passing syphilis onto your nurse. <laughs> Uh, and if you are, uh, well, then, then hey, you know, there's a problem. There's some really ethics, happen. ethics, ethics, ethical <laughs> lines have been crossed. Yeah. Do you ever look at things like, um, like, uh, I, Taylor, this might be a surprise to you, but this, the reason we're actually having Tiffany on the podcast is because your attitude is a communicable disease. And so she's here to, to find out your contact yeah, In history. particular, your attitude towards bike helmets. But anyway, that's, we'll, we'll get to yeah. that. Right. That's another conversation. That's a public health issue. Right <laughs> yeah. What, uh, so MRSA would be one, like what are, what are some other, um, uh, you know, inf- infectious diseases that you have to worry about on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So pneumonia, UTIs, mm. Um, UTI is when somebody has a catheter in. Um, yeah. So we also look at, you know, MRSA, C. diff is another one. Um, there's some forms of, uh, strep that we care a lot about. Um, so pretty much any, any disease that you might get that has like antibiotic resistance. Right now, now can we go into UTIs for a second? Like, are we talking about, are we talking about like the, the potential of a patient developing a UTI via way of a catheter being being inserted like yeah so catheters um can pose a huge risk as far as um urinary tract infections because um it is a it's a you need to be sterile when you do it um you know changing it making sure that it's assessed daily to um just make sure that areas remains fairly clean um since they are you know inserted up into your urinary tract it is a lot of potential for it to create some imbalances in the bacteria cause utis um things like that so it's definitely something we keep an eye on um and we can tell by like when it develops whether or not this was something that was acquired within the community or if this was something that we caused Hmm. How, how do you how are you able to assess that um, so there's a window of time in which from a patient is admitted to the hospital until the infection develops that tells us whether or not this was um, something that we caused. So if it's after uh, 48 to 72 hours, depending on which infection we're looking at, um, then it's considered something. So after they've been admitted for mm. 48 to 72 hours, if they mm. develop this UTI um, and there was no you know, UA done, upon admission to confirm whether or not they did or did not have that bacteria. Um, it's considered a healthcare associated infection. Now is that, wow. why would it be important to make that differentiation? Um, so some of it has to do with funding and then some of it has to do with like, where are we messing up along in our, you know, infection prevention and sterile techniques that's causing this because we want to identify that to know like, Hey, if this is something we're doing on our end, like we need to stop it now. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can see, like, you can see it, like through those assessments, if you looked at the data of, of, of all the UTIs that end up occurring um, in patients, you could see of X amount of those X amount of those happened two to three days, uh, 48 to 72 hours into the patient's admission. So that means that X percent of UTIs are hosp- are 
are healthcare related or hospital caused. And so, you know, you might say, well, we need to get that. We need to get that down. We're not, we're not up to snuff on sterilization yeah, efforts. Or K- whatever. We're not meeting the KPIs. We're not meeting, of the, the, hospital. K- we're not meeting the KPIs. We really yeah. need to hammer down. Patient ROI is down. Patient <laughs> 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 ROI. Right? <laughs> I think ROI would be maybe up. Possibly, if there's more, you get a little <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, true, maybe true. that's part yeah. of it. <laughs> Tiffany, um, uh, uh, how did you how did you decide to to choose this as a, a profession, like heading into epidemiology? Yeah, this is kind of something that's always been on my radar, whether I recognize that or not. Um, so, as a kid, I was always told, you know, hey, you need to pick a field that's always going to be there. That's not going to get, you know, my dad was, you know, a different generation than me, so their thought process was a lot of like uh computers are going to take over everything so you have to pick a career that's always going to be there that they can't take over um so science was something that I've always had a huge interest in um and growing up my sister was a quadriplegic um which was a result of an infection of toxoplasmosis while my mother was pregnant with her oh wow um so there's super low odds of like getting toxoplasmosis and then there's even lower odds of getting toxoplasmosis while you're pregnant and that being that affecting the fetus and then it affecting it to the degree in which she was wow um isn't isn't toxoplasmosis one of those like I, we've talked about it a number of times on the show. Like toxoplasmosis is the, that's like the reason why pregnant women are supposed to stay away from cat litter, right? Because like yes. cat shit yep. and cat piss is like just, just covered in, in toxoplasmosis. <laughs> um, is, um, is, is, is toxoplasmosis one, one of those, um, is it a parasite or it's, it's, it's a parasite, yeah, right? It's it, a parasite. Is it one of those parasites that like a really large po- swath of the population just kind of has running through um, them yeah so it's thought to believe that like a lot of people have like gotten it at some point in their life and they just maybe didn't know yeah um don't quote me on this and for everybody <laughs> listening don't come at me for this um, <laughs> I don't have anything to reference off of for sure but um a majority of people have probably at some point gotten it or come into contact with it at least right. especially like if you own a cat um and pork is another um one of those big ones that you can uh, get it from like undercooked or mishandled like pork products right um tiffany what's your i'm i'm curious on the same kind of line of um you know how you got into why why you chose to go down the the the, the rabbit hole of epidemiology for your career i'm interested in 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 a career field that was was you know sort of like you know mashed up into all the other scientific fields that somebody could go into and then all of a sudden along comes a a coronavirus and all of a sudden everybody and their fucking grandmother is an is isn't is a is a is a, is a ho- uh, epidemiology armchair. Ho- hobbyist <laughs> armchair epidemiology and like everybody know you know blah 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 blah, blah and everybody fucking knows and uh and 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 the the field of epidemiology is now in like the in the public discourse of everybody in the world almost um everybody who has access to the internet essentially um how has the last two years like changed or shaped and influenced your like what you do and how you do or what how you think of what you do? Um, 
Yeah, so there's a lot of different aspects in that too. Um, so I've always kind of known this is what I was going to end up in because I still get to work with the things that I love, but I'm not doing it like where I'm providing direct patient care. Um, so that's what I like the most about it because really I'm just looking at a bunch of numbers and telling the public what do these numbers mean. Um, another big aspect of epidemiology is that we look into social determinants of health. So when somebody has a disease, nine times out of 10, there's something within the social determinants of health that caused that disease. It's like, you know, when we see a patient, for example, in the ER with an asthma attack, we treat that asthma attack, but we don't ask them any questions about their living conditions or like anything like that. So we treat them and we send them home. And then four hours later, they're back in our ER with the same symptoms. But what we didn't ask was, or what we didn't know was that we were sending them back to a home that was filled with mold because they're low income and maybe couldn't afford anything or their landlord isn't, you know, per se taking care of the living quarters. So we send them back home and then they're back in our ER, but we didn't ever ask them to get to the root cause. Mm. So that's like a huge part of it is also just being able to look at like this broad spectrum of things and figure out how like each thing is affecting it further down the line. Mm. I, I, I do want to come back to the reason why you got into it, because I think there was more to that story um, where you were saying that, you know, your mom had toxoplasmosis, your, your sister ended up uh, as a quadriplegic. Um, where, where, what was the, what was the continuation there that kind of led you to this path that you found yourself on? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so further on, um, another one of my sisters, I'm the youngest of four. So the one that passed away that had the um, congenital defects from toxoplasmosis would have been the next oldest for me. My oldest sister got West Nile, which is like 10% of people actually develop symptoms from mm-hmm. West Nile mm-hmm. um, that are like serious. Um, so unfortunately, uh, she was kind of one of those people it's not super common to get, um, it's pretty common in Nebraska when you compare all of the states, but um, in general, it's not like something that occurs frequently. Um, and then after that, when I was in college, probably about my junior year, my mother was diagnosed with Steven Johnson syndrome, which if you've ever looked that up, uh, don't go to the pictures. Um, oh my God, just- wait, is that, is that the one with the, where your skin burns off yeah essentially we, you're just burning from the inside out we just talked about this <laughs> you guys remember this my, my so my partner's a nurse and uh she was telling us about a patient oh yes, yeah she yeah, was yeah. taking care of and, and he as a reaction to the yeah. Medication. Oh, yeah can you can you break down what steven johnson syndrome is because it, it is and also you're right like it is not something that you want to like go on a deep rabbit hole looking at the pictures of it because it's uh it, from what i've heard it is it's absolutely the, devastating the first thing i did was just Google yeah it on my so phone. It is it's intense. like a two in one million chance of getting this Whoa. um so it's a pretty rare thing and there's not a lot known about it um it was fairly recently discovered um i mean it's still pretty old like i i would say old when i think of like lifespan of a human but um like in the broad scope of things, it is not very, like, it's pretty recently discovered. Um, so you can sometimes get it just from like getting an illness and then your immune system just is like, whoa, hold on. And then just starts the process. 
Um, but a lot of times it's from like antibiotics, mm -hmm. um, which is one of the more rare but serious side effects. So, you know, when you always hear commercials or like weird ads or side effects, you know, you read the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Those, um, so Stephen Johnson syndrome. Just, yeah. Serious <laughs> but rare side effects of it. Um, so for some people, like it just appears differently for everybody. Um, my mom had a super mild case of it, thankfully. Um, a lot of people, they do end up going into like super severe. They're admitted to burn centers to be yeah. treated. Um, a lot of times it, it just, it's bad. Yeah. Not a lot of people are fortunate enough <laughs> to survive it. Yeah. The, the patient that my partner was taking care of, <clears throat> um, pretty much almost his entire body was, was like slothed off. Like it just, it mm -hmm. just, he, like, like he, his skin degloved and, um, and I, I guess that, you know, he came back to the unit, uh, like a couple of years later to like give thanks to everyone who took care of him. And he, you know, it, even then he, he looked, he looked like a, a burn patient. He looked like he was caught in like a house fire. Uh, I'm curious. Um, so, is there, uh, is, are the answers to the reasons why those things happen? Are they rooted in the study of epidemiology? So, yeah. Um, so I actually do research as a grad student on West Nile virus. Um, oh, cool. And then things like toxoplasmosis, they also fall within the realm because epidemiology really just means the study of um, uh, throughout a population. So what we particularly look at is diseases, cancers, um, injuries, um, non-infectious diseases. So things like cancer, asthma, COPD things like that, we're really just looking like, what are the trends in this? What are risk factors? How can we prevent this? So our main goal is just to prevent things from happening so that you don't have to go see a doctor. Um, so if we can identify those, we can, you know, expand the lifetime that an individual lives. And so we can have healthy, or healthier, longer lives. And then, um, so that's kind of just mostly the focus of that. So that's kind of how that all ties in. Mm -hmm. um, for me specifically, I focus on infectious disease and genomics. Uh, so that's kind of how that ties in for me. And can you, can you explain genomics for us? Yeah. So the genomics in the sense that I um, do is we focus on genomic surveillance. So what we're doing is for COVID. This is what I started my research on. Um, so we kind of monitor and track the evolution of the virus. So we get a sample that's positive. We take that virus, we sequence it, we get the DNA out of it, and we compare it to other things. So we can use that to track back like, oh, this strain is linked to this, and we can go all the way back to and connect it back to the original like person who had COVID. Um, so it's just a way that we can you know, track the evolution in history, and then we can use that to get earlier detection of new variants um, and do different diagnostics so we can implement mitigation strategies to prevent things from just further spiraling. That's crazy. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is. It is super, um, super crazy. And uh, in particular, like the history, the history part of it. And we were talking about this on our last on our Friday episode that will come out tomorrow. No need to go into that time warp. 
um, <laughs> and um, uh, which is uh, a podcast that we've all recently listened to called The End of the World with Josh Clark. And they go into there's one uh, there's one episode. There's a, essentially Cole's notes is it's every episode is like a different way that humanity could come to an end uh, theoretically in the future at some time. <clears throat> and one of them is bio is 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 like a bio like a, a biohazard um basically like creating a virus um and this is pre-covid and they talked a lot about like gain of function research and the kind of like the history of the history of wanting to um wanting to make a virus uh, more virulent or or more deadly in order to understand how to prevent that in the future and mm. basically what gain of function is and they talked um, is that they, what gain of function is? Yeah, like making the virus more deadly so that you can understand how, how to, severe of an impact it could have. Yeah, and yeah. in that, that poses a risk. Yeah, because to, you are because you yeah. you are you are willfully making a, a a more deadly or more transmissible version of a of an infection or a virus that could then escape humans are wild <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all, all, all in the hopes of like determining right of course, determining yeah. like what you know what the future outcome of a particular virus or something could yeah. end up being but there was one where they were where they were talking about um where they were talking about um that they had discovered uh that they had discovered a flu strain like 40 years after after that flu strain had been common and they were talking about how like in in evolutionary terms for to see the same version of a flu virus 40 years later that's identical to something like 30 years they they were saying that 30 years for flu evolution is basically like like an an epoch for humans like it would be the equivalent of hundreds of thousands or millions of years and how and i just found that fascinating how they could that you could look at a virus and and go oh this is from 30 years ago like we know this cuz we've got this kind of like history and bank of yeah. evolution looking at a virus. How do they know that? Like Tiffany, like how do you know the things that you know? In, the, in that, like, <laughs> like, what a great question, that, Brian. That is a, it's a really, it, obviously the question itself sounds dumb. I acknowledge that, but you know what I'm saying. So, so I think you do anyway. Fuck. <laughs> Who knows? Um, uh, I think maybe I do. Um, so we have this massive like bank. There's just this huge gene bank that has like, you know, every, pretty much every, everything that's ever been sequenced ever. So we can look and compare that. And of course, there's going to be some small minor mutations that maybe just don't really have an effect on that disease. So for me, viruses um, that don't really matter, but you can look and there's some key components and things that you look for within that genome to determine like what its relative is essentially. That's crazy. So yeah. is that like, um, because I'm really curious, is, is that like a, uh, like you, you log onto like a database or like a website and you can access that stuff? 23, it's 23 yep. <laughs> It's yeah, tw yeah. 23 yeah, me it's for the, viruses. I think the science community uses 23 me <laughs> sponsored by. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done um, genetic testing on yourself? I did. I did 23 me actually. <laughs> did you? Yeah, me too. Yeah. What, what did yeah. you think of it? Um, I thought it was really cool, actually. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but you can download raw data off of there. And then if you find a research paper over like some, I don't know, disease hereditary thing, and they mention any of the genes that it's linked to, you can actually go back and look through that raw data and see if you have those mutations. Whoa, Whoa. crazy. Crazy. That's yeah. crazy. I've, <laughs> have have I've... you done that for yourself? Oh, yeah. Um, I looked up my caffeine metabolism. Okay. Rate. And? 
I'm in the middle. I'm a normal. Oh, so that's so interesting. I wow. wonder. I wonder if I would be really high because caffeine like does not have an effect on me. So would that would that be indicative of a high caffeine metabolism? Um. So I feel like caffeine doesn't affect me. So I thought I was definitely going to be on the higher side, and I wasn't. Hmm. Um. So interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's because the two of you need to just inject it straight in your veins. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. Right. how I you mean, really get the caffeine. Yeah, right, right, right. Sometimes I like to just ask my coworkers if they'll just like, you know, hang in a, a monster can on an IV pole and like, <laughs> yeah. take a needle yeah. in my arm. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. You've you've told us a little bit about um, your family history and in terms of the experiences that your your mom and your sisters have been through. Um, when you were doing genetic testing, were you nervous about getting the results uh, it, because of what you might find out? Um, no, I was more so just curious. I think for me, like with those kinds of things, like I would rather just know, um, especially like for things that are maybe um, diseases that are recessive allele. Um, so like you have to have two of the recessive gene mm-hmm. and then both of those from both parents have to be passed on to children. So I think it's something um, that like if you ever plan on having kids, um, that should be like considered um, because I actually ended up being a carrier for one of those. Um, which is super interesting. And I mean, even if whomever I would decide to have a child with, if I decide to have children, um, if they had it too, that, I mean, we still only have a 25% chance of that developing. Right. Um, but 25% chance for something that's a lethal mutation yeah. is kind yeah. of a big. Yeah. I mean, it's if I had 25% chance of winning the lottery, I'd be buying tickets. <laughs> Fucking yeah, every no day. Yeah, 25% <laughs> chance to win the lottery would be excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's that's actually how we think of like diseases is in comparison to lottery. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. actually, everything is just a lottery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Right. Can you can you walk us through like the the research that you're doing now and like what does, you know, when you're when you're on like the research grind, what do you what's your day to day? Like what are the things that you're focusing on? Yeah, so I'm actually not in the lab, so I don't do any of the sequencing. Um, what I get is a massive Excel file that has like 3,000 lines and 10 pages. Um, and I look through all of that and I, you know, sort it out and I run it through some software and that gives me a bunch of numbers that mean important things to me. Um, and then I translate that to be bite-sized pieces for people with you know, the common public mm-hmm. who maybe don't have that six years of special education that I have or mm-hmm. um, just make it digestible for the public. Would you consider yourself a nerd? Uh, yes. <laughs> cool. I mean, she did just say Excel. <laughs> 10 pages of Excel. 3,000 like, lines. Yeah, <laughs> I am so happy in the that. transition of the, of, in how the language of nerd has changed over the past little <laughs> yeah, while. Totally. How like nerd, how nerd has 
has has gone from derogatory to like to 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 mean status like, to mean like I don't know like kind of cool like dialed in yeah like, yeah. Like, do yeah. You yeah do you care <laughs> like being a nerd's kind of like yeah. I care yeah like you're nerding out about it yeah yeah I'm really <laughs> I'm really inspired yeah you're either a nerd or you're woke and and both are dialed in you know, <laughs> in their own ways <laughs> you can only be yeah. can you be can you be both or do you have to be one or the other have, I mean, have you ever had um like a both. because you said that uh you, like I I really like the way that you described that like to you it means something like you look at these numbers and to you it means something have you ever had like a a eureka moment when you're going through the data and you're like whoa this is crazy like I didn't think that the data would tell me this super interesting thing. Um, it's not so much that like whatever I computed is new. It's just not so much what I anticipated. Mm -hmm. So like you just see trends, like you expect a trend in something to look how you expect it to look and then you compute it and it's not. And you're like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, why is this happening? And then you just fall down a rabbit hole. <laughs> When you, when you, uh, once you get your master's and you start your career, like, do you have a, do you have a, um, a sort of ideal future in epidemiology? Like something that you really want to kind of focus on when you start doing that work in, in, in like once you've graduated and, and finished everything? Yeah. Um, so I'd like to take the public, like the health department route, um, just cause I can, I can have my hands in so many different areas. Um, I'm not just limited to one thing, so it won't get, I mean, not that it would ever get dull, but it's just nice to have variation within your work. Um, but I would like to focus still on infectious disease, but I also am pretty interested in social determinants of health mm -hmm. and just kind of things that affect <clears throat> the outcome. Yeah. I, th I think that's, that, that's probably one of the, one of the most interesting things that you pointed out, um, in our conversation so far to me was, 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 was the thing about the, uh, the cough or the asthma and going, well, well, what do you, like, what do you, mm. what are, what, what are the, what are the conditions in which you're, and like, you know, obviously you can, you can put that example to basically so many things and, 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 and look at like, how, how do, if we look, if we look, uh, uh, upstream of this, like, where did this, where did this all, begin because i think that one thing about um healthcare in general i don't think it really i don't think it really matters what country you're dealing with or how the how the uh system is structured um for like between canada and the us for example but like um but when we we have we have kind of like collectively as a globe in the even the most developed countries have developed this practice of um, of like, like a band-aid sort of approach rather than, rather than like root cause. Yeah. It's yeah. about treatment instead of prevention. Yeah. From my perspective. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I, and I, and not that I have the answers as to how to fix that stuff, but I mean, more Tiffany's, but more, but yeah, more mm -hmm. of, more of that work and looking at, looking at how this, how this came to be in the first place is, um, is an incredible place to start. And we could use a lot more of that. Yeah, hopefully we kind of just see a shift in that and just considering more of like the the things outside of the four walls of the clinic room that we're seeing and mm -hmm. something more than just the symptoms. Can can you go over um I know we've talked about this a bunch of times but I always forget. Um can you talk more about what makes up social determinants of health? Like what those factors are? Um yeah, so 
um, race and ethnicity, um, neighborhood. Um, I'm going to forget all of them now because it's a super easy question and I can't remember <laughs> anything suddenly. That's okay. Um, so things like your social economic status is a big one. Um, race and ethnicity are also big ones that we look into. Um, environment. So like, do you live in the city? Do you live in rural areas? Um, do you live in low income neighborhoods? Um, just things that may impact your um, access to healthcare or other things. Um, there's five of them, and I seriously can't remember the other ones. That's a pretty good. That's pretty good. Sorry, you did better than, than <laughs> I could have. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I've been told these things many times. I can't. I can never remember. Where are you at in your in your uh, your process of research and getting your master's? Like, how much how much longer do you have before you're out in the real world? Um. So I've kind of just opened up just seeing what I can get now. Um. So much of it does require just your finished master's. Um, but like what I do now is pretty in the field. It's just a different aspect than working out a health department. Um, so I start my thesis next year. So probably about next summer, I could really just go into getting like a, a job in the field for sure. And then graduating in December and it's kind of free game. Do you want to stay in Nebraska? Um, Ideally for now, but I'm pretty open to anything. Cool. Well, Tiffany, this is uh, this has been really neat to uh, to be able to get a little bit of insight into the work that you're doing and and the work that you will be doing uh, ahead in the future. Um, is there, you know, b- before we wrap here, like what's what's one thing that you would like to kind of leave with the listeners in terms of things that maybe. Um, that maybe they aren't thinking about or aren't considering uh, coming from someone who works in, in the field that you work in, um, you know, a- any kind of like, uh, uh, points, words of wisdom. yeah, words of wisdom <laughs> or like points to think about when it comes to, um, when it comes to the world of like infectious disease or, or, uh, you know, this, this, like, as we come into this post COVID world, uh, anything that you, you think people should be thinking about? Um, I think uh, that's a tough one. Um, some of it is just that lottery mindset. So like when we think of like bad side effects of medications that we might be prescribed, um, we tend to use the mindset of that could be me, um, which is why we play the lottery, right? You know, we think, oh, that could be me that gets that money. Mm. Um, so we tend to use that with like the bad side effects or like the negative things, but we really just have to like, you know, make informed decisions. Don't be afraid to ask questions to the right people. Um, and if you're, you know, hesitant or questioning something, ask those questions, um, and make that decision when you're ready and you're comfortable. Um, and just try not so hard to have that lottery mindset. Um, mm. when going into things like treatments for things, um, but also like with rare diseases, because I'm definitely a person who jumps to conclusions that like, oh, I have like the worst disease mm. possible. Um, but that's not, I mean, statistically, that's not always true. So mm. just being mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Tiffany, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's all, it's just uh, Excel spreadsheets, dude. I, I had yeah. one more question really quick. Uh, uh, have you seen the movie Contagion? 
No, okay, so I actually have it. Wow, okay. wow. Should, I'm pretty sure they it. won't give you your master's until you have. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Probably not. That's how I got <laughs> my <laughs> master's in epidemiology. Yeah. <laughs> I watched Outbreak in like seventh grade, and I'm pretty sure it traumatized me. Is that the one with Jodie Foster? I think so. Oh, man, I... Or I loved that movie. I saw it as a kid. That's like a that was like what a, a TV- delayed like re- reaction. <laughs> that was like a TBS. That was like a TBS like a Sunday TBS style. Movie. I, remember I think all. the worst part of it was that we were watching it for science class, and then in the middle of it, like when they're just putting the town into like quarantine, um, the school goes into lockdown because the student had passed out, but we didn't know. So like we're watching this movie oh, and I'm wow. like, I have so much anxiety about this right now. And then um, they like put us in lockdown because they had called the ambulance for somebody in the building. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like happening right now. Yeah, that see that I wish movies were more interactive like that. That's fun. <laughs> that make that makes like horror movies seem way more intense. Was uh, it wasn't uh, Jodie Foster, but Dustin Hoffman and Morgan Freeman. Oh shit! Seven Space. Yeah. Okay. Nineteen ninety five. Nice. I think this is the one I'm thinking. Renee Russo. I'm watching that tonight. Yeah. Uh, Tiffany, again, thank you. This has been this has been a real treat. It's been so nice to meet you, and we're we're glad we have this opportunity to sh- sit down and shoot the shit with you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.